Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. For those of you that are just coming in, don't even bother sitting down. <laughs> Let's go ahead and stand up together. Those of you in the lobby, come on in. Let's get going. guys for that song. Man, good morning. How we doing, everybody? All right. Welcome to Kavanaugh. We're glad you're here. You're looking good. Are you fired up? You ready for some worship? Hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm looking forward today to praising Jesus. I'm looking forward today to celebrating our freedom in Him. 
Uh, this past weekend, Eli and I, we got to go to the men's conference in Kansas. And let me tell you, those guys get rowdy, okay? <laughs> they get rowdy. They, they are excited about their freedom in Jesus. So today, we have much to praise, much to worship, and much to celebrate. So we welcome you to Kavanaugh. Thank you for joining us. If you're a guest, oh man, we're so glad you're here. And we would like to meet you after service. So if you could grab that Connect card in front of you, fill that out. And then when service is dismissed, go to our Welcome Center. We've got a connect area there. Stop by. We've got a gift for you. We'd love to meet you and talk to you. Uh, guys, I want you all to stand up. And uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And then, man, I want you just to totally focus today and take this time to concentrate on Jesus, what he's done for you, what he set you free from. And then just open up your heart and pour praise out to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. You alone are worthy of our worship. And today we are here, Lord, as, as a people to bow before you, to humble ourselves before you, Lord, to hear from you. Would you move mightily in this service? Uh, thank you for our praise team, for all the preparation that they put, Lord, into leading us into a time that we can encounter you. We can, we can interact with you. We can lift our voices to you. And then as Brother Nathan comes and preaches the word, Lord, I know you have an amazing sermon that you've given him, and it's going to challenge our hearts and lives. So I pray that you'll move in this service and change lives as only you can. We love you, Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stay on your feet and keep singing? As we sing this next song from the day, think about the day that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's sing it to him.
there's joy in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Last Sunday morning, I didn't get to be here. I was in Puerto Rico in a whole different kind of service. And it was wonderful. There was joy in that house too. We were in service Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, it was a wonderful time. But it was a different kind of service. It was in a service where Spanish was spoken. And uh, I listened. And I could pick out words because I know some Spanish. But it was so cool listening to God speak through Spanish-speaking people. You know, we don't have to hear it through English for God to speak. He can speak through all kinds of language. And the church that we went to last week was called Jesus SL in Centro. And that means Jesus is the center. And I thought, you know, Jesus is the center. He's the center of my life, and he should be the center of your life. He should be the center of all of our lives. And that just stuck with me so strong. And we sat down, and there was six gringos, they call us, six English-speaking people. And then there was all of these Spanish-speaking people. And they had an interpreter there. But the coolest thing was the guy who led uh, worship that morning was the son of Pastor Will. They had a Pastor Will. And he was uh, speaking, and uh, he started leading praise and worship. And they sang some Spanish songs. Uh, and, and of course, we had no idea what they were saying. But then he started singing a verse of a song, and I knew that tune. And so I was singing it behind my mask, because they have to use masks. And I was singing it, and uh, it was beautiful hearing it in Spanish. And then all at once, he started singing it in English. And then our row of six was singing it in English and then you could hear the people singing it in Spanish at the same time and I thought I was just overwhelmed because I felt the presence of the Lord and I thought you know it's like this all over the world this morning and the words of it was Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. And I thought, that's what we long for, whether it's in English, whether it's in Spanish, whether it's in French, whether it's wherever you stand on this earth today. That's what our hearts long for, because Jesus is the center and hearing it in those languages just overwhelmed me. And it was an experience I won't forget. And I was thinking that, and I came home and, and uh, getting ready for practice Wednesday night for praise team practice. And I looked at the list of songs. And Holy Spirit was on our list to sing today. And so I shared it. And Angie asked if I would would mention that to you as we sing today as we sing Holy Spirit let's ask him to welcome him here but think about all across our nations all across our world even those in Ukraine those everywhere they're asking God to worship to welcome him there to overwhelm us with his presence this morning Holy Spirit you're welcome here today 
together to worship you in corporate Lord but each one of us has each each a burden on our heart this morning and you hear each one of our burdens and you see the trouble that we're all going through and Lord I praise your name and I give you the glory for because in your presence we are centered in your will we are centered in your structure we are centered in all of what you've been about all these years in all my life, whether you've been a Christian from one minute for all your life, Jesus is still the same. And Lord, I praise your name this morning. And I want to give you the glory and let us give you all the glory and the praise. And please be with us this morning and give us the hedge protection around each one of our families that we would know that you are with us and around us at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. worship team. They're awesome. Amen. They've, they've really started this service off right. Amen. Good morning, Kavanaugh. How's everyone doing? Good. Good. It's so good to see everybody. So glad that you made it out. I'm glad the storms have held off and we're all able to come and enjoy an awesome experience in the Lord's house today. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but my shirt is tucked in. Yes, you can thank my wife. You really can. I'm wearing like legit shoes, like not Tom's, and I've got real socks on, not my granny footies that like my Bob Marley colored socks. I got my Charlie Brown. Woo! Yeah, it was either between that or my uh, Stormtrooper helmet socks this morning. So it was a really tough decision, but man, no, seriously, thank her. Thank my wife. She was like, you will look superb today. So her phone number is 850. 850- 748-7545. Feel free to text her. If you got it already, do it. I'm like, why are you giving your wife's phone number out? Well, she's giving my phone number out all the time. She had a group of people, and some of you were in on it, send me text messages like six months ago asking for llamas that I had for sale. So it was on a Facebook post. So 850-748-7545. Love you, babe. So anyways, it's good to be here today, and uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be able to preach for you this morning, um, and uh, really excited about doing so. We are going to be in the book of Obadiah. How many of you heard of the book of Obadiah before? Yeah, so generally we get there if we start out on our journey through the read a Bible in a year plan type scenario. Um, it's a little book, it's right between Amos and Jonah, 
Um, it's not something that we necessarily get our devotional content from. Uh, it is a minor prophet. And I know sometimes when we think of Old Testament stories and Old Testament books, like for those of you who remember dial-up internet, the connection of trying to get things, can, you know, what the book is conveying and, and how we were supposed to apply it and learn from it is kind of like that. And you, that dial-up connection was atrocious. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? Dial-up connection. You, you had to get a... Connect the internet so you can get on AOL Messenger, message the babes. All right, anyway, so, but Obadiah, that's where we're going to be at this morning. I'm really, really excited for this message. Uh, I called it uh, Pride and Prejudice. It has nothing to do with a book, okay? So no worries, guys. Um, and ladies, uh, sorry. Uh, observations through the book of Obadiah. I'm going to read the first few verses. We're going to pray then and ask God for anointing, and we're going to dive right into it. It says this. The vision that Obadiah saw. The sovereign Lord says this concerning Edom. We have heard a, a, a report from the Lord. An envoy was sent out among the nations saying, Arise, let's make war against Edom. The Lord says, Look, I will make you a weak nation. You will be greatly despised. Your presumptuous heart has deceived you. You who reside in the safety of the rocky cliffs, whose home is in the high mountains. You think to yourself, no one can bring me down to the ground, even if you were to soar high like an eagle, even if you were to make your nest among the stars, I can bring you down, even from there, says the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that your word is uh, all inspired and, and, and is given to us. You hold nothing back from us, God. I'm so thankful for that. So many other religions uh, have to seek and find and, and, ad, and advance on, but you just give us the whole thing right now, and you want us to learn as much about you as possible. So I'm so thankful for your word today. I'm so thankful that we were all able to gather here today to dive in and to study. Lord, open our hearts. Open our hearts and help us to be the people that you want us to be. Amen. Now, this is a brutal assessment. This is a pretty brutal opening to a book. Now, who wrote this book? A guy by the name of Obadiah. All right. Now, Obadiah seems like a crazy name, and it's something that we probably would never ever name our own kids. All right. It is uh, again. Sometimes we associate it with just one book in the Bible, the Minor Prophet book that we're studying today. But really, in all actuality, it is one of the most common names throughout scriptures. There are at least thirteen different Obadiahs found in scriptures. All right. Some, there's one that's a governor. There's one that is named uh, one of David's mighty men, Secret Service Group. His name was Obadiah, all right? And, and this one, and, and, and a couple weeks ago, Brother Jason uh, preached uh, the story of Elijah, and there was a guy by the name of Obadiah in that story, okay? Obadiah is a very common name throughout the scriptures and would have been in that, in those time, uh, in that time frame. Obadiah simply means a servant of Yahweh. It was a name that was given, given to the person. It was uh, aspired to be able to serve Yahweh, the Lord Most High. And so... If you bore that name, you bore special significance in a name. But this, this guy by the name of Obadiah has a very brutal assessment and opening, uh, opening statements to this group of people or this country by the name of Edom. All right, He goes on to say, if thieves were to just be able to come uh, rob you, they would do, be able to do so easily. They'll be able to waltz right on in, take whatever they want. That's how despised and rejected and tore down, I'm going to make you be. He says, even if grape pickers 
We're able to just come, uh, we're able to come and, and want grapes. It would be so easy. I'm going to destroy you and bring you down so low that it will be so easy for them to be able to do. You have a presumptuous heart. You will be totally destroyed. And how the people of Esau will be thoroughly plundered. So what's the beef? Like, I mean, again, we read these minor prophets, and again, it's like, how are we supposed to learn from this? What are we supposed to get from this? Is there some sort of history here, though? And I think that the scriptures, as, as we further read, begin to unravel a little bit and bring about some familiar names. In verses uh, 8 through 10, it says this. At that time, the Lord says, I will destroy the wise, the wise sages of Edom and the advisors from Esau's mountain. Your warriors will be shattered, O Taman, so that everyone will be destroyed from Esau's mountain. Because you violently slaughtered your relatives, the people of Jacob, shame will cover you, and you will be destroyed forever. Yep. Do you guys recognize any familiar names in that passage? Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Are, and their story is absolutely crucial to this, this, this book right now. We have history here. And it's important history to know going in to the rest of the book. So let's just have a little bit of a recap. Jacob and Esau, their parents were Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac was one of the founding fathers of the, of, of the Hebrew people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all right? So we have Abraham was the father. Father Abraham had many sons. One of those was Isaac, and then Isaac's son, Jacob, all right? It's said in the scriptures, Genesis chapter 25, that Isaac and Rebekah really, really wanted a child. They, they desperately wanted a, a, a baby. So Isaac prayed, and, and the Lord answered their request. Um, it, it was said there that the, that the children began to struggle inside of her, though. And, and she said, if it's going to be like this, I'm not sure that I want to be pregnant. Like, God, I, added, I asked for something easy. I asked for a baby, not two. Anyone ever been in that situation before? Twins? Yeah, I can't imagine raising twins after dealing with Jed and Abram and now Elias. Like, having two at one time, that'd be crazy. But the Bible says that, um, that, they, were, that they struggled inside of her. It's almost as if they were fighting. And, and the Lord said to her, there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from within you. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when it was time for Rebecca to give birth, we see twins coming out. The first one, he was kind of weird. He was an extremely hairy dude. All right, very, very hairy male. All right, his name was Esau, and his, he was a red-headed baby, all right, or red-haired child, all right? Like literally, he was a very furry dude, all right? So Esau came coming out first, all right? Esau means the color red, okay? So that's where he got his name. Jacob follows, but Jacob comes out in a unique way. He's holding on to the heel of his brother. It's almost as if, no, it's almost as if Jacob is saying, no, I want to be first. No, I want to be, I want to be presented first. I want to have the attention. I want mom and dad to see me immediately before you. So when, when all this is, happens, of course, uh, Isaac and Rebecca are old. J uh, Isaac is 60 years old when they were born, all right? But Jacob, his name literally means to seize by the heel, which implies that he is always behind his brother 
and he probably doesn't like that, and he was going to be behind a lot of the problems for his brother, right? His name also means to supplant, all right? That's where we get our New Testament uh, name of James. It derives from Jacob. It means to supplant or to replace. Jacob also has tones of, of the word circumvent. It's to find his way around obstacles by all means necessary, all right, even if they're not good. His name also gives tones of, uh, of meaning to assail, to attack, to overreach, to defeat one's purpose by trying to do more than what's required. So that's crazy. Jacob's name already means that he was, he's going to be a pistol to deal with. Hosea chapter 12 verse 3 says this, in the womb, he attacked his brother. So there's that assailing. And in his manly vigor, he struggled with God. He was a con man. Jacob was not a nice dude, all right? And so this description to be annoying, to be obsessive, to always try to get in the way of things. How many of, the, of you, this describes a sibling that you have? Anybody? For sure. I've got three of them, and I know they're not watching, and I was the best child out of all, out of all four of us, um, but there was one sister that was worse than the other. Okay, um, anyways, so you have that. Jacob's already causing problems at the moment of birth, but then you have the birthright story, okay? And that's at, later as they grow older, uh, Esau is the hunter of the bunch. He's the outdoorsy guy. He likes to go get his hands dirty and do things. Jacob is like me. I want to just be a mama's kid. I want to sit at Starbucks, <laughs> you know. I want to eat good food and, and, and not have to go kill it myself. I just want someone else to serve it for me, all right? All right. So Esau goes out hunting, and he comes back, and he's extremely hungry, and Jacob is making food um, and, and so forth. And, and Esau says, look, I want, a, I want a bowl of soup. I want, a, I want some food that you're making. And Jacob, the con man that he is, he's like, okay, sure, if you give me your birthright. Now, the birthright was basically like this extravagant uh, inheritance that would be passed down from Isaac to the firstborn son. All right, so Esau was the firstborn son. He would be extremely blessed by the Lord uh, and, and, and having his, uh, his absolute favor. And Jacob's like, I want that. So if you want this bowl of soup, because I know you're really, really hungry right now, I want you to tell me verbatim that you're going to give me the birthright. And Esau's like, whatever, sure, kid. And so gives him the birthright, okay? Rebecca, Jacob's mom, hears this. And she favored Jacob uh, over Esau. And Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. Which is a sermon in its, in, in its entirety of itself. Because favoritism is not good. It's not good at all, all right? And we see the destruction that this favoritism would eventually have among these two nations. So what does Rebecca do? She makes... Jacob feel hairy like Esau. They, they go get an animal, animal skin or whatever, make it really hairy. They, he, they throw dirt on his face. They make him smell bad because he's an outdoorsy guy and outdoorsy guys smell bad, right? I think I got this right. And then, um, and so forth. And so then she says, okay, now go present yourself. Go present yourself to your dad who is about to die and he's blind. So this is working totally awesome in Jacob's favor. He goes he presents himself. Isaac thinks he's talking to Esau. He straights up lies. Conman's his dad, right? And then gets the blessing, all right? It is said then, then Esau comes back 
and sees what's happened, goes to ask Isaac for his blessing, and Isaac like literally freaks out, okay? He's, this is probably the final nail in the coffin. This probably puts him under right then and there. So you see some really bad, harsh family affairs going on right here. You thought your family was bad. Just go back and read the story of Jacob and Isaac. Seriously, yeah, Jacob and Esau. It's absolutely atrocious, some of the things that they do and their descendants, okay? So you have this, this, this stuff going on. Now, eventually, they would make up. After a few years, they would make up, and they would finally be on peaceful terms. <coughs> Esau's descendants, though, would move away uh, from Jacob's descendants, and they would go settle in a region called the Kingdom of Edom. I've got a map for you. Kind of help show you guys uh, where, where we're at right now. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is the kingdom of Israel at this time. You have the southern kingdom of the kingdom of Judah. And then you have this territory down at the bottom called the kingdom of Eden. This is where um, Esau's descendants eventually go to. Now, Edom is a very mountainous place, okay? And, and, and kind of cool how this works out. Edom is known for the red clay, the red mountains, all right? And one of the more famous sites that you and I probably know about is the, is the city by the name of Petra down here. It's a beautiful city that was carved out of the sides of these mountains. It's a huge tourist trap today. And um, it, it's, a, it's a place where people would come and live and, 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 and build their cities. They'd build towns and cities out of this mountain range. It was absolutely beautiful. But Petra didn't come until 500 years after uh, this story, all right? So... Esau's descendants are living in caves at this time. They're living in simple settlements. Um, but yet they are a prosperous nation. They, they live in the high ground. All right? This is a mountainous area. And the king of Judah where Jerusalem is, uh, is, they are literally looking down on that land. So this group of people, the Edomites that Obadiah is talking to, they truly were up with the stars. They truly were up soaring as, up as if eagles were flying in their airspace. This is where they were. And so Obadiah is writing a message to this group of Edomites that's saying, look, the Lord's going to bring you down. The Lord is going to take you out. You think you're safe where you are. So the question is, so what did the Edomites do? Jacob and Esau were so a couple hundred years prior to this. Like, what, what's the problem? What's the big deal? And again, we continue on with with what some of this is said, with what was said here, that literally the, the Edomites were uh, bullies to the, the people of Jacob. Like literally throughout scripture, you see these two groups of people constantly clashing. The Edomites, one of the more prominent ones and more, the, the more well-known ones, is as the children of Israel are coming up out of Egypt, they're exiled to Egypt, they're enslaved down there, they're coming up and they're trying to get to the promised land. The Edomites that group of people, uh, in, their, in their territory, the children of Israel wanted to cross over into their land to travel up to the promised land. And the Edomites, no, if you do, we'll attack you. We will, we will berate you. We will make sure that you do not survive. And they constantly were threatened. In stories of, of, of King Saul and King David, you constantly see struggles among their kingdom. And even after uh, King Solomon builds the temple, uh, which was David's son, you see struggle among all of them. So this was a very, very difficult, these two groups were very, very difficult with each other and, and had a hard time getting along. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. whoop de doo right? Like, this story happened so long ago. Like, what on earth does this have to do with my life now? 
relevance. And again, I know it's hard to, when we read through the Bible and through these tough passages, that it's difficult to, to, to make the connection. But I think all God's word is inspired and given to us by him. And I think that we can be taught in every aspect of the scriptures. So there is something here for us today. There really is. The question is, are you ready to receive it? Are you, are, or do you have an open heart to receive it? Um, and, and, and so forth. So I just, I, I pray, I, I've been praying for you in that way, okay? So there are a couple of things that we can learn from this. And it's along the topics of pride and prejudices, all right? Being arrogant and selfish and full of ourselves and, and the other prejudice resulting from holding grudges and thinking less of other people because of things that have happened in the past. So the first thing that we need to talk about is this pride issue, because this is what the Lord calls Edom out for in this passage of Scripture. He calls it their presumptuous hearts, all right? What does presumptuous mean? It means this, failing to observe the limits of what is permitted or appropriate, going above and beyond who you think you are and thinking that you're better than someone else. There's a pride issue here. There's an arrogant issue here. Thinking that you're all good and no one can touch you and that you are perfect and no one can ever, ever reach your status. There's a pride issue here amongst this people. And it is horrible. And this is what, this, this issue, this pride issue, this presumptuous heart issue is what led this, this group of people in their negative behavior towards the children of, of God. They allowed, they sat back and watched the children of God get ransacked by the Babylonians, which is, is the time of frame which we think that this book is written. Literally, the Babylonians came in, exiled Egypt, and then these Edomites, not only did they watch it happen, they went down into Jerusalem themselves, stole some goods, and continued to bully some of the people that were there. They literally rode the Babylonian back down there and acted like they were all too good and, and, and had that mindset of th this, this group of people deserve this because of what they stole from us. And I truly believe that the story of Jacob and Isaac plays a, a, a foundation to that. We must be careful as the body of Christ to not have this type of behavior in our life. The presumptuous, arrogant, prideful heart is something that will ultimately lead to the destruction. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your status is. You choose to have this behavior in your life. In the end, you will find yourself not being as successful and uh, prominent as what you think you are. For God's people, this type of behavior is un unacceptable. This type of behavior doesn't belong in the church. And this is the type of behavior that's being called out by God right now. We need to make sure that we cross-examine ourselves, each and every single one of us, and make sure that this type of behavior isn't happening because God has something to say about it. And he says, look, you think you're, you think you're all that? You think you're better than everyone else? I'll bring you down. I'll bring you down. So one of the, the stories I like to associate with this example or this topic of pride um, is, is rooted in NBA history. How many of you like basketball, professional basketball? Now, I know a lot of basketball now, especially in the NBA, is kind of like a circus, all right? It's not really that good. I remember the days when the NBA was good, all right? Let me show you a picture of this man. You all know who that is. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan growing up. I did. For my middle, when I was in middle school for my birthday, I asked my parents to get me an authentic Michael Jordan Washington Wizards jersey. Because, man, when he came back, it was awesome. 
It was awesome. It, it, was, it, was, it was definitely cool. I, I am very glad to say that I was alive and old enough to be able to see Michael play for the Chicago Bulls too. I know many of you probably have seen, saw him play as well. He was a fantastic basketball player. I'll give you six reasons why he's the greatest of all time, and he beats out LeBron, all right? Kobe was almost there. I liked Kobe. I didn't like the Lakers, but I liked Kobe. But Michael Jordan was my favorite, okay? I love Michael Jordan. It's really cool. So you know who that is, all right? Now I got a question. Do you know who this guy is? Anybody? Anybody at all? I'll buy you Chick-fil-A if you tell me who this is right now. Over. Time's up. This guy is, is Corey Benjamin, all right? Corey Benjamin. Now, I like this guy, okay? When I, we, my, on PlayStation 2, we, uh, there was a game called NBA Live 2003, all right? And this guy was on my team. He was scoring points with Michael Jordan on the same team and with fantasy drafts and all that. So I really liked Corey Benjamin, okay? Corey Benjamin was a, was a really great basketball player. He attended Fontana High School and, and averaged 27 points uh, per game his senior year. He was incredible. He, wa- he was able to make it on to the McDonald's All-American basketball team, which is always fun basketball games to watch. Some would say in his games, especially in those, in those McDonald games, that he looked like a young Michael Jordan. And he did. He was, he was always attacking the basket, always dunking, always hitting his shots. He was really, really good. He would later then go on to play for Oregon State, and he would lead that school in scoring for two straight years. The likes that that school had not seen since Gary Payton played for them uh, earlier on. He was later then taken 28th overall in the NBA draft in 1998 by the Chicago Bulls. And, and, and what a dream come true to literally follow in the footsteps of, of who people were saying that you were reminding them of after he had retired. It was, it was incredible. It was a dream come true. But that was a bad year for the NBA. I don't know if you remember, but they went into lockout that year. And it, like half the season was cut. Uh, cut short, and, um, and then he uh, was, a, was riddled with ankle injuries and so forth, and he wasn't really able to finally play till his, the year after his rookie year, okay? So there was a guy by the name of Randy Brown, okay? Randy Brown was still playing for the Chicago Bulls, and he played with Michael Jordan. He was a veteran player, that kind of thing. Well, at practice, Corey Benjamin half-heartedly, and pro- but also probably very seriously, made the bold claim, I could easily beat MJ one-on-one. Now, okay, I could, I could, I could make, he could have probably made the argument for, I could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one, but easily? Like, he's thinking, I am way better than that old 36-year-old retired guy now. Like, this is my team now. This is, this is my dynasty. I'm going to make something, and I could easily beat him one-on-one. Well, Randy Brown went to Michael Jordan and told Michael Jordan what had happened in this conversation that had had. So Michael Jordan didn't forget about it. So two or three weeks into the season, as they were practicing at the Chicago Bulls, practicing at their sports facility, 
They're all practicing. Like it was so, it's so cool to see this footage. It's on YouTube. You can go. Tony Kukoc, who was one of the one of those pristine players for the for those championship teams for the Bulls, he's over on a treadmill, like about to retire and croak. It's really cool to see. Scottie Pippen's in the room. Ron Artest is there. Like some of my favorite players are in this room practicing. And it's said that as soon uh, there was something, there was a scurry over in the corner, and a door opened and then shut, and the entire room went silent. Michael Jordan had entered the arena, all right? Now, everyone was in awe that Michael Jordan even showed up because their relationship, Michael Jordan and the Bulls at the time, their relationship wasn't that very, that wasn't very good. So the fact that Michael Jordan was even there showing up for practice was awesome. But there was really one guy in that room who knew why Michael Jordan was truly there, and that was Corey Benjamin. It said that the room went completely silent, basketball stopped dribbling, and, and people stopped what they were doing and just saw as they watched Michael Jordan walk out on the court. It's amazing. Literally, the acoustics in that room go from balls bouncing everywhere to just silence echoes and then you hear Michael Jordan say get out here and to Corey Benjamin doesn't even mention his name and Corey walks out onto the court and and Michael Jordan proceeds to school this guy really bad one-on-one it's, it's phenomenal. His opening play was like the, he, he zipped around Corey and went up for a reverse layup with his left hand and made the shot. And everyone, you know, all the players like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this happened. He's getting annihilated. And, it, like, it's so funny to see all their faces. Michael Jordan is just handing it to him left and right, hitting jumpers and so forth. The score would end up being 11 to 3. All right? And the three shots that Corey took, Michael just gave to him. Okay? So it's phenomenal. Uh, the final shot, I believe, was a dunk, and Michael just went in and, and, and put, the, put the nail in the coffin for, for Corey right there and slam dunked on top of him and called the game. That was it. And then Michael Jordan said, sit down. And this grown man, Corey Benjamin, sat down right underneath the basket like a whimpering puppy dog and just was about to get an earful. He said, Michael Jordan looked at him and said, see all this? And pointed up to the rafters of all uh, up in the in the Bulls training facility of all the banners of the championships and the and the prestige that Michael had and, and his team had brought to the Bulls. He says, "You did none of this. You did none of this. You can't. You will never claim any of this. And if you ever call me out of retirement again, the hammer will drop twice as hard." And then he came up and gave him the knuckles and walked away. You know, but showed him up. Corey Benjamin, I'm pretty sure his pride was brought down pretty low. And he really was schooled and he was shown that, look, maybe I'm not all that and maybe I shouldn't let my mouth run. His pride got in the way really, really bad. Scripture says that pride is not a good thing. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says this, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall. In Proverbs 18, 12, it says this, Before destruction, the heart of a person is proud, but humility comes before honor. Pride is the original sin. It's the thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Let's read that. I don't know if you remember the I wills of Satan there, but he says this, I will climb up to the sky above the stars of El. I will sit upon my throne. Like, it's not his throne. That's God's throne. But he's saying it's his I will sit on my throne. I will rule over the mountain of assembly on the remote slopes of Zephon. I will climb up to the tops of the, of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But then Isaiah would continue to say, but you were brought down to Shoal. God handed it to him and dropped him so fast 
down to earth to here now. Pride is not a good thing. What is pride, though? If you could have a definition of like what pride is, I believe that this is, this is a, a, a pretty good one. Pride is the state of holding oneself or another in high esteem, like yourself. Like if you're going to hold yourself really, really high in high esteem, where you're, you're almost like you're untouchable. An example of pride is the feeling of a parent as, as a, a pride, a feeling pride, is, is a parent when a child graduates from college. But an example of being pride is saying, look, I'm untouchable. No one, can, no one will ever be able to reach my status, and I am better than everyone else. So what we are not talking about when I'm talking about pride is being proud of things that you do in your life. Having accomplishments is a good thing. It's good to be proud of your grandkids if they do awesome at a sporting event. It's awesome to be proud of your kids when they make great grades. It's good to pat yourself on the back when you do a great job and get a, pro get a promotion at work. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. But being proud is totally different. It's okay to feel proud when you accomplish something great. Feeling proud is good. It inspires positive behavior. It encourages you to want to do more, to keep striving forward and to do, put your best foot forward. But being proud is different. It can make you come across as arrogant and self-centered. No one would want to be around you. Being proud is about creating an inflated self-image that really isn't true. It makes, un it makes life unpleasant for you and others. So, Inflating ourselves and making us and thinking that we're the center of the world and that we're all that is not at all what the Bible calls us to do. We're not to hold that type of image of ourselves. The world doesn't revolve around us. And we need to be mindful of that. There are others that exist. And this type of behavior, especially among the church, should not. Because we are called to put others first. We are called to live the life of Christ and make sure that other people's interests are counted above ourselves. And that's stated in the solution to this pride problem. In Philippians 2, 3 through 5, it says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest. There's nothing wrong with having your personal ambitions. There's nothing wrong with presuming after your goals. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do, be really good at what you do. Nothing wrong with that. Make millions. Have all the stuff that you can, you can afford. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that identity supplants the, the humility that Christ calls us to have in our life and we begin to think that we are better than other people, that's where the line is drawn and we are, it becomes sinful. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So humility is something that we <clears throat> need to pursue after. And as we pursue humility, as we pursue after that frame of mind and that lifestyle, I believe Jesus will be seen and radiating out of us the way he ought to. All right? Jesus is not going to be able to shine if you are, are, are putting yourself over him. He's not going to be able to. He's not going to be able to. Less of ourselves, more of Jesus. Less of ourselves, more of other people. And as we have less of ourselves and we, we, we count others more significant, more significant than ourselves, then the following is going to happen. You're going to be enjoyable to be around. People will like you. 
People will want to be influenced by you. You want success? You want people to like you? Don't be haughty and don't be arrogant and don't be uh, pushing forward to where you're trampling on others to, to, to reach a level that you want to be. Maybe you need to su- surrender that pride and say, look, I want people to be, be able to be affected uh, in, a, in the right kind of way and for Jesus to shine out. There are individual and personal responsibilities that we all have to do ourselves. Each one of us only can do certain things, uh, right, and for ourselves, and, and, and that other people can't do. And making sure that we are in check and, 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 and embracing a life of humility is, is only something you and I can do. And, and that's why we can't condition other people doing their part in order for us to do our part. Because I hear that argument as well. Well, my marriage would be better if that person did that, and I'm not going to do anything until that person does their part. You hear that before? Have you said that before? I mean, imagine, imagine how much life better, how much life could better be if we had less of ourselves and took up the role of Christ. You know, do you know, how much more room there could be for blessing in your own life when we empty ourselves and embrace a servant's heart, when we think not so much of ourselves. Imagine how much better our relationships at work could be, our friendships could be. People would want to open up to you. People don't want to open up to people who are so full of themselves. They don't want to do it. They want to be able to trust you. They want to be able to look to you as a role model, an example. And you cannot be that if you are full of yourself. So what kind of time, energy, and effort are you putting into other people? Or is it all about you? Is it all about what you want to accomplish? Is it all about how you are going to do well in life? Our friendships could be better. Our relationships could be better. Our marriages could be better if we surrendered our pride. Things could heal faster. Things could be easier. Things could be more comfortable if we surrendered our pride to the Lord. So pride is an issue. God calls this group of people out for it. But he also calls out their prejudice. Uh, he also calls out their prejudice against the people of Israel. Esau's history with Jacob built up a lot of grudges, I believe, between these two people groups. And it became a perspective, a, pre- pre- a prejudice for future generations to come. We know the stories had to have happened, and you know how telephone goes. Like, you, you start off saying one thing, and it ends up to be t- being totally something different. Uh, combine that with, a, like, with actual truth and facts, and, and as stories are passed down from generation to generation, the Edomites further hated the Jewish people. Further hated the Jewish people. They held a grudge against God's people. And again, this grudge and this behavior, this negative behavior, behavior from that grudge provided a prejudice and even allowed so much for them to not at all be the, uh, helpful to the children of Israel. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's being written to the church, to the body of Christ. Let me repeat that again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That stuff should not be reigning in your hearts. If you got a grudge, if you got something that you can't let go, God is saying you need to release that right now. You can't be effective 
if you are holding on to those types of things. How can you explain Christ's forgiveness and how he has forgiven you, and you are trying to convince other people to forgive if you yourself cannot let go of the hurt and the pain and forgive those who have offended you? Tell me. Tell me. It can never happen. That's why we are called to be like Christ and to forgive, even if they don't ask for it. Even if you never talk, to them, they talk with them again. The things we hold on to, it, it blows my mind sometimes to hear the stories that I hear. The people that offend us have probably dropped us off their radar years ago. And you know what we do? We find ourselves living in our own personal prison of grudge and anger, of grudges and anger, because we still haven't let go of that. And it really affects our day-to-day -day life and our day-to-day -day relationships. It's important that we get rid of those types of things. But instead, we ought to pursue forgiveness. The solution is forgiveness. On that last passage of scripture, the, the second part was this, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Luke 6, 37 and 38 also says this, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, who haven't you forgiven? What have you not let go of? And I'm not saying that the pain won't still be there after. Because I know it takes a long time to get through things. It really does. But man, what an awesome first start to freedom and being effective for the gospel by giving those things to the Lord and no longer letting those things hold us captive. You know what I want to see? I want to see our kids see us as an example of Christ in their life. How we choose to forgive people and handle conflict and deal with struggles and, and difficult times, that needs to be what our kids see and our grandkids see. And if, if, if all they see is us holding on to things and not really dealing with the problems, what do you expect them to do? How do you expect them to respond? When things come up in life, what do you expect their reaction to be? You can't preach Jesus if you're not living Jesus correctly. So the solution needs to be forgiveness. Some of you need to forgive part of your past today, right now. No longer lingering in your own turmoil because of the problem, because you won't give it up. And guess what? Pride can play a little bit part of that as well. Because we feel like we need our own justice and we're going to make our own way through it. That's not what God calls us to do. So it's so important. I believe grudges for this group of Edomites uh, definitely played well into their history. Again, um, it's something that provided a prejudice for God's people. This grudge would continue to play out in the history of the Edomite people. It would. It would. After the Edomites would be conquered from their land, which is technically Mount Ser in that kingdom of Edom region, they would be moving north, all right, and the people who built Petra would come in, they'd build Petra. The Edomites would be moving north and go to the southern kingdom, okay? They would find refuge 
amongst those people in which they were persecuting, okay? Um, and they would rename themselves to the Idumeans, the Idumeans, all right? Weird name, but they, they kind of renamed themselves. So that, rem, that remnant of Edom became the Idumeans. And when Rome took over, all right, when Rome took over, they needed a, uh, Rome needed to establish an authoritative presence over the Jewish people, and they know that they couldn't probably use their own people. So they pulled somebody from the Edomines, which was none other than King Herod the Great, who would be eventually approached by three wise men and asked, where is the king of the Jews? And in that man's hatred, embracing his history and knowing how much he hated the Hebrew people, he would say, I don't know, but why don't you go find them for me so I can go and worship him myself soon. And what would lead after that? The massacre of Bethlehem tried to kill Jesus. Grudges have their casualties. Grudges have their casualties. And I hope you're not one of them. I really hope you're not one of them. The second part of this message, and I'm going to end with this, um, kind of comes from inspired by Brother Will and a lot of his uh, these Kavanaugh marching orders. It's really cool. Um, I've been really um, worked in a weird way over the last few weeks uh, going through that sermon series, being inspired and encouraged. We're going to go through some pretty difficult times, and we're going to have those Edomites in our life that come in and try to persecute and, and, and trample over us and so forth. And they come in all various different shapes and sizes. They could be our own family. They could be people at our workplace. They could be the government. It could be all types of things, all right? It could be a, a, a disease or an illness, something like that. It could try to take us out. And Obadiah ends his book with something absolutely incredible. And it's that of the end of the Edomites. He actually foretells the end of the Edomites. He says, look, the day of the Lord is drawing near, y'all. And again, the, Israel is still in Babylonian captivity, I believe, at this time. They are, they are not back in their homeland, but Obadiah is saying, look, Edomites, the day of the Lord is near. And we have a God who's going to be there for us. He's on our defense he will make a way. Our God is for us, so then who can be against us? So Obadiah 1, 15 through 16 says this, and bear with me, but this is important. Let me, let's read this together. For the day of the Lord is approaching for all nations, just, just as you have done, so it will be done to you. So Obadiah is like, just what you guys did to us, it's going to happen. But not in our own hands. God's going to deal with you. You will get exactly what your deeds deserve. For, you ju for just as you have drunk on my holy mountain, and drunk as in they, they went and they desecrated the holy place, they got drunk and, and, and did horrible things on, in the city of David and on God's mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and they will gulp down. They will be as though they had never been. So you desecrated the temple, you desecrated God's people. You desecrated God's place. God will have his way with you. God will bring about retribution for his people. And Obadiah wanted the Edomites to know this. And I'm sure he passed the message on to the, the, the children of Israel. Our God's for us. And just because one enemy had, had, a, had a victory doesn't mean that they get the victory in the end. 
he goes on to talk about the redemption of God's people in verse 17 through 18. But on Mount Zion, there will be a remnant of those who escape, and it will be a, a holy place once again. The descendants of Jacob will conquer those who had conquered them. The descendants of Jacob will be a fire, and the descendants of Joseph a flame. The descendants of Esau will be like a stubble, and they will, and they will burn them up and devour them. There will not be a single survivor of the descendants of Esau. Indeed, the Lord has spoken. And right after King Herod passed away, you see the Edomines kind of fizzle out from history. God kept his word. That should be encouraging for us. Because God keeps his word for us. We don't have to question God's, mo uh, God's, God's plan. He is faithful. He loves us. We are his kids. And he wants us to always know that. And then finally, the restoration that Israel hoped for that prompts you and I today to look forward to the future restoration that we have in Jesus. It's this, in Obadiah 19 through 21. There's a lot here, but, think, but I want you to really think about this. The people of Negev will take possession of Esau's mountain, and the people of the foothills will take possession of the land of the Philistines. They will also take the possessions of the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and the people of Benjamin will take possession of Gilead, and the exiles of this fortress of the people of Israel will take possession of what belongs to the people of Canaan, and as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sherifarad will also take the possession and the towns of Negev. Those who have been delivered will go up on Mount Zion. There will be a kingdom restored in order to rule over Esau's mountain. Then the Lord will reign as king. We're going to face some difficult times in life. We're going to have our Edomites. We're going to have our personal issues too. But God promises restoration. He does. And this is the restoration he promises in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with, the Lord, with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. I love that. Don't let what's happening now consume or fog your perspective of victory in the end. Just because you're taken out in, in several ways doesn't mean that God doesn't have you. Tough times will happen. We are not exempt from that as the body of Christ. But God will always prevail. So why is this message a little bit more important to me? How has how Nathan taken this message on a personal level? Well, for the pride issue. I thought back a lot when I was in high school, in my earlier days, young, immature, and where I wasn't available. I, I, I was very prideful and arrogant, selfish. And as Brother Will talked about last week, of, of being ready to just simply have a cup of water. I can look back where I can, where, where I philosophically held water from people, emotionally, Spiritually, I held back because I was all about me. That's not what God calls for us to be, to be all about ourselves. And, and that's where it's affecting me personally. I don't want to be a prideful person. I don't want to be to where I'm not available. Nor should you. 
God calls, you, calls us as the church to be open and available and ready, not consumed with ourselves, but consumed with the interest of other people. Lord, have mercy on us if we are so full of ourselves that our seats are not full in this place. Let me say that one more time. Lord, have shame on us if we as the church are too full of ourselves to where we are not filling the seats here in this place. May God always, always be a priority in our life. And may his way and his life be something that we take in for ourselves. Then also grudges. This is difficult because I know some of you have hurt and have history and have problems and a past that is really, really hard to get over. And I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you had to experience pain that you did not deserve. But God calls you to forgive. He calls you to forgive. You can't effectively be all in for Jesus and taking that message out to the world if you are still being entrapped and snared by those own grudges. So today, I'm calling for all of you to cross-examine yourselves. Look at your heart. Look at your behavior. Are you too full of yourself? What do you need to empty out? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to change? How does God need to create a new heart in you to where you can be a light for him? And then maybe there's personal hurt and pain that you've got to let go. The altar is a really, really daunting place sometimes, I know. I want you to stand. Stand real fast. The altar is a really, really daunting place because symbolically it's us coming forward and giving something over to the Lord. And that's difficult for us to do because in our pride we don't like to admit that we have problems, that we experience pain, that we got issues. It's also really hard to come forward and say, there's someone I need to forgive and I need to take it to. I truly believe right now in this place that this right here can become a place of freedom for you today. It really can. The question is, are you ready to give it up? Are you ready to give those things up? Are you ready for a change for the better? Are you ready for Jesus' freedom and what he promises to come and to release you from the bondage of whatever might be going on in your life? Are you ready to do that? So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, you can begin to come. Sandy's going to pray. We're going to have a time where we can just give to the Lord. You need someone to come with you? Grab them by the hand. They'll walk with you. Got something to give up? It's time to do it now. So Lord, I'm so thankful that you call us your own. And you want to see us in the right place. You want us to see that you truly are that liberator. You can, you can liberate us of our own pride and sinful arrogance. You can bring us down and bring us to a place where you are gracious with us, you care for us, you have mercy on us. So Lord, I'm praying right now amongst this people that if there's somebody that needs to be dealt with in that kind of way, that you take care of them and give them that courage and strength to come and hand that over. But then also, God, the grudge. We cannot let our histories of people get in the way of our life 
cannot let those things hold us back. And if there's somebody here right now that's got to let something go, that needs healed, needs prayer, I pray that you give them the strength also to do so. We love you. Let's sing. for your truth today. I pray that people were able to release something today and be able to cross-examine them, cross themselves and be able to make a change. Even if it's just a little one, something is better than nothing. Help us to become more like you. You are our God. We are your people. We want to be a light for you. We want to be affected for you. We want to see salvation come to this place. It comes through our teaching and our walk and our daily living. Help us to be able to live right by you. Help us to follow in your example, for you to always be our focus and to reign in our hearts every day. In your name, amen. Woo. Wow. Man, Nate Dog brought the word, didn't he? Wow, pride and prejudice. And, dude, you're so right. LeBron, he can't even touch MJ. No way. No way. No way. Uh, man, you dove deep today, brother. And thank you for letting the Lord use you. Uh, thank you guys for being here and being receptive to the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, I'm fixing to let y'all go, okay? But I got a few things to share uh, for our members, not our guests, but members. Remember to drop your tithes and offerings off at the black boxes as you go out the doors. To our guests, please stop by our Connect counter so we can meet you right after this service. Uh, a couple of announcements tonight. We're going to have Bible study online at 6.30 p.m. Tune in for that. We'd love to have you. Then, ladies, all the ladies in the house, hear this, okay? Uh, Miss Gail, she's starting up a new Bible study. It begins this Tuesday. There'll be a morning session at 9.30 a.m. and an evening session at 6.30 p.m. You can sign up in our Welcome Center. It's not too late. We have the iPad stations out there. It's only 18 bucks. And the, t the book or the theme is 2020 Vision and how I need that. Okay, I'd like to have that, wouldn't you? Some 2020? Well, I guess not. Y'all have perfect vision then, huh? I'm the only one. Wow. Uh, okay, as I'm looking out here, though, I just got to say, I see youth. I see youthful faces all over this place. Do y'all still, are you still young at heart? Would you say, yeah, I'm young at heart? Okay, let me see your hand if you still got a little bit of youth left in you. Okay, then I've got something great for you. Next Sunday, I set y'all up, man. Here we go, I'm reeling you in. Next Sunday, we're going to have our, our Unity Association Bible Music and Art Competition. We're bringing it back, you know, the past couple of crazy years, uh, is we've not been able to do it. But Brother Nathan, you're bringing it back. So he's, he's on our board. So you guys are going to have competition at 4 p.m. at the First Free Will Baptist Church in Greenwood. You're all invited. Come and see what these kids have worked so hard on uh, in learning Scripture and using their gifts uh, for the Lord. So it'll be fun. And then at 5 o'clock, there'll be a meal. Then at 6 o'clock, we have a youth service. But you can all come. You're all God's kids. So please come and be a part of that. It'll be an amazing evening. Next Sunday, guys, are you ready for this? Daylight savings time. Woo! Set them forward. It's going to hurt only once, but then the benefits are so much better. Let's get a petition going that we keep at Daylight Savings Time, right? What in the world? So y'all help me with that, will you? All right. Love you guys. Man, we're so glad you're here. You can stand to your feet. You're dismissed. Come back Wednesday night. <laughs>